I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. You're listening to Muses. My name is Lynx, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Muses. I am your host, Lynx O'Leary, and this week I am joined once again by the magnificent Dee Dee Keel. Now, Dee Dee is a rock and roll woman with a pure heart of gold. We first had the great pleasure of chatting with Dee Dee way back in episode 124, and in that episode, she shares stories about growing up on Venice Beach with Jim Morrison and the Doors as her neighbors. She also talks about scoring a primo gig at the Whiskey A Go-Go, where she ended up working for the next 12 years. She also talked about what it was like to be part of the Led Zeppelin crew, some personal groupie tricks, and touring experiences with her then-husband, Ron Keel. Now, every time I have the pleasure of talking with Dee Dee, she truly blows me away with another story from her incredible past. When I asked her to return for a second episode, she came prepared with some extremely fun, never-before-heard stories from her time on the Sunset Strip. In this episode, we'll talk about fond memories at the Riot House and the Sunset Plaza, going full circle with Deep Purple drummer Ian Pace and Blue Cheers Lee Stevens. Dee Dee also talks about her relationship with guitarist Sam Mitchell and a not-so-friendly encounter involving Mott the Hoople's frontman Ian Hunter. I always have so much fun when I get to spend time with Dee Dee, whether it's in person or over Zoom, and I truly cannot thank her enough for coming back and sharing even more. 
Dee Dee's been busy writing her own book about the whiskey and her time there. And after hearing some of these stories, you'll be waiting for the date that we can all pre-order that memoir. Until then, I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, Dee Dee, thank you so much once again for coming on the podcast. I had such a great time talking to you before. And listeners probably already know we did an episode where we talked about our trip to L.A., I got to visit you in person and go all around LA with you. And it was just one of the most incredible days of my life. You showed me all around the Sunset Strip. I got to hear the history. We went inside the whiskey backstage. You just took me on such an adventure. It was one of the greatest days of my life, honestly. Like what a rock and roll journey. It makes me feel so good that you had such a good time. And we got to go to your iconic record store, which we got a lot of photographs in. And that was great fun. Yes, Amoeba Records. We went to Laurel Canyon. It was just the best. It was my favorite part of the trip by far, getting to experience all of that rock and roll history with someone who lived it truly truly lived it and had a story everywhere we went you know even driving around you're pointing out places and giving me all the stories and hot tips and oh it was just so (laughs) magical and you're one of those people where every time I talk to you every time I hear something about you there's just like another fascinating story comes out that I never heard before and you, you're just filled with incredible information and incredible stories and like what a history you have. So thank you for coming on again. And you said you were up for sharing some more stories with me and the listeners. And I just, I, I'm so excited to have you on. Yes. And I am thrilled that you are so thrilled about the stories because, you know, as time goes by, um, I just love telling the stories again. It's just an opportunity to relive all of these fun little events that have happened in my lifetime. Uh, I also wanted you to know that I take time to try to listen to as many of the uh, podcasts that you do. I really enjoy the variety of amazing people that you have on and uh, the the stories that they have to tell are are just really interesting and fun and really impressive. Uh, I wanted to comment on a couple that I actually took a peek into just the other day was your interview with Patty Johnson in regard to her groupie roundtable. Yes. I want to say that I think Patty Johnson is truly a, a great groupie spirit through and through. She's absolutely adorable. I got the opportunity at the very first gathering having dinner with Patty and some of her friends at the Rainbow, which now I know turned out to be the inception of the round table. That's right. So I thought I'd give you some little backstory on that. Oh, please. Absolutely. Yes. Let's go here. So how that came about, here, here's the scene, your picture. There's just a few girls with Patty and I having dinner, and I began to tell them some stories about how back at the very beginning of the Rainbow, even before it opened, My roommate, Charlotte, used to work during the day at the office at the Rainbow, and she was a ticket taker at the Whiskey at Night. My other two roommates, Kathy and Jan, they also worked at night, one selling tickets, one taking tickets, but they also had the gig of changing the Whiskey marquee. Those little girls would get up on that giant ladder and get up and put those big red letters up. So... (laughs) On days that these girls would change the marquee, we would all slip down to the rainbow to find Charlotte and sit in one of the round tables in there. And we would share this 
wonderful bread that the rainbow baked at the time was kind of a wheat bread and it was cooked in a soup can and it came out in a little round cylinder so so we would sit there eating this bread and and scheming about the possibilities of the nights ahead <laughs> on the other token back at the whiskey we literally had a round table that was set up in the center of the whiskey office where we would sit throw out our ideas on booking and advertising and uh, any possibilities that we could think of that would make the whiskey more successful it was a table that was used by the bands, managers, roadies, for all kinds of business. We had a phone hooked up for them, and we'd sign contracts there. Uh, I mean, I have pictures of Nikki Six sitting at that table designing his posters, uh, wow. things of that sort. But I think one of the most iconic for me, the most iconic and special photograph that you can actually find on the internet, is that round table with Joan Jett and Susie Quattro sitting there, and it's just, it just is mind-blowing to look back on those memories and i do think that that was what patty had intended with carrying that torch out for those round tables really really going ahead forward with the groupie round table kind of covers all of that it does i appreciate her for that i think i think she's a spunky little girl and i love her uh, like you said, just like a true groupie soul, inside and out, just Absolutely. full of love and just good vibes. And I feel like you and Pamela are the same. It's just so, uh, it's always so amazing to talk to you guys. And I love that you all keep the history alive. You all continue to talk about it and make sure that you're passing it along to generations. And I mean, all of us are so fascinated by all of that time as well. And to be able to live it. I, ca I can't, but I can live it through you. Well, and you know, when I, when I look in the mirror and realize I'm 71 now, <laughs> it's really hard to fathom that time has gone by that quickly. But um, I love to share because I really want the history to be remembered and be remembered correctly. So I appreciate the fact that the Maglieri family, now that it's down to grandchildren running the whiskey and they'll call me and ask me to come up and you know take take me upstairs and they want to know what it looked like before and and they love the stories as well so it's really great fun um i'll speaking of that i want to hop on to the other uh, bit that i read on muses and that was the story on brit eklund and that really sparked a fun memory for me. And by the way, today is Brent Eklund's 79th birthday. No way. Perfect so how timing. How fun is that? That is cosmic. Oh my goodness. And she Isn't still it? looks so beautiful and is out there living life, vibrant, loving. I love it. Absolutely. And I jotted down that because I was thinking, I'm going to do this, this interview. I want to, and there it was, Brent Eklund's birthday. I said, oh, this has got to be, it's meant to be. So. How I know about Britt Eklund was she was married to Lou Adler. And of course, Lou Adler was a big, was Elmer Valentine's best friend. He was always up in the R office. He was a wonderful man. He also became one of the big main partners in the Roxy and toward the end, a partner in the whiskey. So at the time he was married to Britt Eklund, they had a child named Nikolai. Nikolai Adler, who then became the sole owner of the Roxy as an adult. 
unfortunately, I don't believe he's held, held on to it, and Live Nation has it now. But at any rate, little Nikolai and, and his mom, Britt, would come up to the whiskey office routinely, and Nikolai considered Elmer his uncle. So he was running about constantly. Now, fast forward a little bit to the end of 79, and Lou Adler brings me up, Brett Eklund's daughter, Victoria Sellers, who, of course, Peter Sellers is her dad. Amazing. <laughs> so he brings her up because she's now a teenager, giving him no end of trouble. <laughs> um, no matter what they would say to her, her answer was, I know. So they bring her up. I think it might have been her 18th birthday. Might have been 16th. I'm forgetting. But they bought her a brand new vehicle. It was a really snazzy little white Mercedes with a custom license plate that just said, I know. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> so they bring, they bring her up and they tell me, she's going to work for you. Teach the girl how to work. And I thought, oh my God. <laughs> on my head. She was adorable. Um, we're still friends to some degree. She had a little trouble in life, but at any rate, I took her under my wing. I'm showing her how to work in the office. We're going around. Now, at the time, we were busy cultivating the rock band Rat. Okay. And Stephen Piercy, that singer, who I adore, he's my, he's my number one, he was running about and he says to me, I want to meet that girl. And I thought, oh, Lordy, oh, no. I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> Send her home with a rock star. <laughs> so I introduced them, and that was probably a big mistake. And because that night she oh, took him home. Of course. <laughs> and I come to find out a few days later, he went home with her because he wanted her mother. No way, of course. I mean, your <laughs> mom's Britt Ackland. <laughs> It even gets even more thick, which is really funny because anybody who knows Stephen Piercy knows that he is 100% into James Bond 007. And as we all know, what was Britt Eklund? She was a Bond girl. There you go. So it all got turned about for him. He did not score with Mama. He got <laughs> tossed out on his ear. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but that's a story I've never told anyone. So I oh find my God. I love it. In there. Imagine your parent, though, being like, <laughs> you are getting yourself into too much trouble. What you're going to do is you're going to get a job at the greatest rock and roll venue ever, and you're going to do good. Like, <laughs> what did they expect? <laughs> she actually was a pretty good girl. We taught her We taught her some things in the office, and we taught her some things in the box office. <laughs> I think it just went sideways when those rock stars got alone. <laughs> she was adorable. Oh, I love it. So, yeah, so, so that, that took me on the Brit Eklund journey. So since we're talking about round tables and going around, I thought it would be fun to talk about going full circle. And... I thought it might be fun to talk about some of the escapades that we or I have had that have run, turned out to run more than a one night stand and maybe getting that opportunity after a long period of time to see that person again. Oh, I would love to hear this. Which is unusual, but you know, social media has a huge role in making those connections possible now. 
Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, back then you guys just had the phone and if you weren't home, then you don't get the call. <laughs> it's the truth. But, you know, we walk away with these fabulous memories and um, we don't often get to see the person again to hear their perspective on your time together. Yeah. You know, it can be very powerful if you get the opportunity again to see them. One of the, the ones for me that kind of started the connection, reconnection for me, and I, I was able to talk to Pamela Debar about it, but I never got to give her any deep details. And I, I thought that I would revisit the fact that I got the opportunity, um, it was in 2019, to once again meet up with my love, Ian Pace from Deep Purple. And Amazing. You know, that that's not something I thought I would ever get to do. And I became a little more persistent with seeking it out due to the fact that he'd had a stroke. And I hadn't laid eyes on him since 1974. Wow. You know, social media can be a wonderful thing, but it also can be really scary. For sure. When yeah. it works out. Um, I, I ended up, I know a fella, he's a very well-known guy who does a lot of costuming. And he did a lot of costuming in the 80s and uh, current day, he still does Judas Priest. So come to the time when suddenly Judas Priest and Deep Purple are co-headlining a show. And I went to this man and I said, could I get the road manager's email for Deep Purple? And he gave it to me. And I wrote to this woman and she said, I would de be delighted to have you come to the show and see Ian. Amazing. After like how many years? Since 74 to 2019. Oh my goodness. Wow. Is that crazy? Crazy. <laughs> so I got that opportunity and um, it actually went really, really well. I'll start off by telling you that I was introduced to Ian Pace while I was out having drinks at the Hyatt House bar and my roommate Charlotte had uh, played matchmaker kind of in hopes that uh, she would get in a little bit deeper with the Deep Purple camp so that she could be with John, the keyboardist, John Lord. And so that was the main reason that the girls had uh, interest in getting me in there, you know, to see him. Did you girls always like support each other with this? Were you always like, did it even out where you kind of all wanted different people and you never really fought over things like that or... Yeah, it kind of came down to um, it. Kind of came down to everybody picking their love interest and and going for it, you know. So the girls would help me out by kind of trying to hook me up with the ones that they didn't want, and vice versa, that kind of thing. Yeah. So at any rate, Ian had me the minute he put his arm around my waist, and I I believe this was the summer of 1971, and the fact that he was a drummer and not a frontman really wasn't the only reason the girls were not really after him. By today's standards, he's probably considered a bit of a nerd, but um, he was adorable, really shy, really nice. He has curly hair and his little glasses. He wasn't your typical British rocker. He was really sweet and really polite. So I felt immediately drawn to him the minute they introduced me to him. Um, he put his arm around me and pulled me in like he was claiming a prize, and that was all it took for me. I was totally in at that point. <laughs> but for a Sunset Strip groupie, that would be all it would take with the rock star to put his arm around you, and you're thinking, I'm in. So from that moment on, I was considered his L.A. girl. Aww. So um, a group of us, we were 
you know, having drinks and we finally went up to the suite and um, I got my opportunity to, to spend the night with him right, right from the get go as we do, you know, as groupies do. <laughs> so, we're, so we're at the Hyatt house and, and I'm realizing, you know, what, okay, now what, here we are in this room, you know, my, my, one of my come to's was, you know, Hey, how about I give you a nice back rub? Smart. So I realized suddenly that he's got one of his calves, one leg had this giant calf and I'm thinking, Oh my God, not realizing he's a single uh, bass drummer. So he has this one big leg because it's doing all the hard work. Oh my God. That's so funny. <laughs> Isn't that funny? You know, when I look back on it thinking, oh my gosh, there, there we go. This is, this is, this is unusual. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, then um, in the fall that year, 71, we decided the boys were in town for a few shows. It was lucky for us. LA used to be the center of the hub. They would go out and do shows in San Francisco, San Diego, Riverside. They had the, the River, Riverside had swing ballroom, went to a lot of those shows, but they were anchored in LA. So we weren't really invited to go along to, to the San Diego arena that particular fall. And I think that actually the small faces may have been on that bill, but Charlotte and I, my roommate, who was after John Lord, we decided we'd surprise the band and drive to San Diego. And we're driving in my, my old 67, baby blue Mustang, Ford Mustang. It's about 125 miles all the way. And we're all excited, all geared up. We're going to surprise the band and pop. I have a flat tire. No. We pull off. I get the tire fixed. We get back on the road. Yay. Here we go. Another flat tire. What, You're kidding. What are the odds? <laughs> oh my goodness. So we finally get down to the arena. We're really late. We arrive so late. Deep Purple's already on stage. Here we are, no tickets, no passes, no nothing. We have to walk down the long cement ramp to the backstage door. And of course, you know, you got a security guard and roadies and we're, we're pulling out all the charms, everything we could think of to try to get into that place. And they finally gave in and let us in. Aww. So we get, get up to the side of the stage and Ian looks over and sees us and he's so excited. So, so that went really, really well. It was, it was a lot of, lot of good times with uh, Deep Purple. So after that, it was about December of 72 that I met Iggy and the Stooges. So by April of 73, I had totally lost track of Ian, getting involved in other things, other directions. And uh, it just faded away by... 74, Deep Purple came back into town to play Long Beach Arena. And at that point in time, I had already married and I was pregnant. Oh. So I go into the whiskey and there's Ian standing at the bar. I mean, oh. this to me is the saddest part of all. He just took one look at me. He, I mean, he was as wonderful as, as ever, but he was so disappointed. Oh. I felt awful. Yeah. At, at the time before I decided to marry and settle down, I was actually thinking of that. And Ian had suggested I come to England with him. Um, funny enough, a friend recently asked me, you know, why is it that you just didn't go off to, to London with, with Ian Pace? And, you know, I didn't want to leave my family. I didn't want to leave my ability to take care of myself. I was really getting into the whiskey full throttle at that point. It, it didn't make sense to me. It was too scary. Yeah. You know, that, that was really the reason. So I, I felt just awful. He kind of gave me a little kiss on the cheek and 
I went on my way and I didn't see him again until the Judas Priest show when we had said that I was able to um, hook up because of the internet and uh, get the, the road manager to ask Ian if he'd like to see me again, and he did. So when I got there, I found out that he doesn't ever have any guests, and I had my little purple pass with IP on it. I thought it meant important person. It meant Ian Pace. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it means both. It means both. <laughs> That was really funny. The guys all have these guests, and there's me and just me. I'm the only one. When he came out, he looked just as, as charming and wonderful as he ever had, and just a little more white haired and a little bit older and wrinkled as we all are here at this age. But we talked about our times together, and he remembered everything just as clear as I do. Um, we even recalled one terrible night that we'd had at the Hyatt house together where I had told him what what a sweetheart he was at that time I'd had a cold and a cough and he stayed up all night long with me patting my back and feeding me little sips of Jack Daniels just just oh. I mean he was quite the doctor <laughs> so you know at any rate I, I look him in the face and I said but Ian do you really remember me oh. and he just looked at me with a darling little accent and said well I've only ever had one girlfriend named Dee Dee Oh my goodness, that must have felt so sweet. Oh my God. It was that moment when I realized I'd been able to come full circle from the meeting to the end, those decades in between, that after all was said and done, my perspective was I was his LA girl. His perspective was I was his girlfriend. Ah, see, these are those moments that like make the groupie thing so special and like that's the thing it, you're not just some girl you're just as important to them as they are to you well there you go you just said it so well because you see if it hadn't been for social media the internet and having the ability to reach out i would never have closure to it and the reason i'm going to say closure is ian said please see me again when i come back into town and i thought not on a bet. It would never end this well again. It's really hard to walk away and say, this is the best ending I could ever have hoped for. I'm not doing that. And he's been back in town and I have not. Uh, I totally get that though. You, you <laughs> had your moment, you reminisced, you got to relive that with him, have that full circle moment. And yeah, it's not gonna get any better than that, right? That's exactly right. And while it's tempting, you never know if you're gonna get the ending that you didn't want. So I thought, you know, he knows how to get a hold of me. We're gonna leave it at that. I'm gonna take that away with a smile on my face and be a happy girl. Yeah. Ah, oh, I love that. I love that so much. Oh my So that's goodness. probably that's probably my best full circle. Shall we do another? Please. Do you want to do another? Absolutely. <laughs> you can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. 
It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. Now, the next one that I'll share with you is fun for me because one of the things that I've been doing is I've been writing and chronicling all of the adventures that I can possibly remember which is most of them, from my days at the whiskey. And that was a long span of time and an awful lot of adventures. But I always try to get them in order. And it's really difficult to get them in order chronologically. So what I've started to do is write them as per rock star. Yes. So that I can keep them contained and remember and kind of go that, in that direction. What I want to remember and share with you, I want to take you on a journey. The time period between 1969 and 1973 were completely crazy years on the Sunset Strip. The key players really given in most of that time were Led Zeppelin, and for me it was Deep Purple. But there were a lot of sideline major acts and a lot of days and nights of groupies and rock, rock stars were in abundance, and all the activities then, we were, were, we were literally partying all night long and then having to work all day at the whiskey. So this particular summer is the summer of 72. There was a lot of excitement that particular summer. I mean, you could walk down the strip and there were people all over the streets. I even kind of wrote a little bit. I think I'll read you from the bit that I wrote. Oh, yes, please. The streets were filled with people walking back and forth in front of the whiskey and I could see them smiling and laughing with just a hint of music from the clubs in the background. That was how it felt. Now. That night, this one particular night, the excitement was all over the presence of the former blue chair guitarist, Lee Stevens. He'd just come into town with his new band, Pilot. So they were going to record, and so he'd be in town for a while. He'd just come back from London. He had this wild, tall, black felt hat with a giant plume in it. I got to tell you, it was quite a sight. That's a look. Yes. I did look Lee Stevens up, and... My goodness, what a babe. There you go. Okay, you get, the, <laughs> you get the picture. <laughs> yes, he, he was a sight to behold, I'll tell you. That pale skin, that, that dark hair cradling the face. He, he was, Those cheekbones, my goodness. I would watch him so intensely that every time he took a drag on his cigarette, I noted how his tongue would come out just a little bit. Oh, I wanted to kiss those lips. <laughs> it was more than I could tolerate. So I was like mega focused on this boy. Well, he made it known that he was interested in Pamela Cass, who was formerly Pamela Robertson. She was a ticket girl at the Whiskey. Oh. 
But when Chicago became our house band, Terry Cap from Chicago swept her up and married her. Oh, wow. So she became Pamela Cap. Actually, Chicago took out a couple other girls that left openings for us to move in. <laughs> so Pamela suddenly became this darling thing that was running around town whenever Terry was on the road flaunting herself and she was cute so I thought okay this is going to be a no win for me he's got his sights set on her uh, and she was real crazy I mean crazy enough that we were in the whiskey one night sitting around a booth and she was in there and uh, the lights came up and she saw a pill a yellow pill on the floor she picked it up and set it on the table and we're all staring at it we all go wonder what that is she literally gulped it down and said i'll let you know wow what a wild one jesus i'll let you know oh my god <laughs> <laughs> did you ever find out <laughs> she I having fun time <laughs> no i moved on i got scared the heck out of me i wasn't into into any of that stuff but at any rate i'm thinking it's game over for me you know this is it for lee well just a few nights later, boy, did I get a surprise. I'm getting ready to leave the club, and I feel an arm come around my, my shoulder. And uh, it was him. He just looked at me and said, come on, let's go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a secret that I was after him, but we ended up driving up. He was staying at the Sunset Plaza Hotel, which is now a Best Western. The fun thing for me is I don't tell anybody this, but I often go get a room over at that hotel just to relive those nights that I was with him. I love that. I love that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Isn't that fun? Oh. I have actually written this story in my, in my chronicling and um, there's a lot of details that we won't go over here in this podcast. They might be a little bit too naughty, but <laughs> long story short, you know, his famous song was summertime blues. I can let you know that summer was not bluesy for me. <laughs> now, now here's where we get to go around and go full circle. So in 2005, I'm back in LA after my divorce and all this time has passed now. So we go from 71 to 2005. I find a blue chair chat board oh. and I'm looking through the posts and I think I'm going to comment on that. I actually commented a little risque comment that was about my nights at the Sunset Plaza with Lee. And all of a sudden it pops up on an instant popper and it says, Dee Dee from the whiskey. This is Lee. Oh my uh, God. Uh, so again, thank you, internet. Yes. Thank you, internet. Oh my goodness. Uh, it was even creepier because it said, it came back to where it said Lee and Diane Stevens. So he's uh, talking me through his, he and his wife. Um, <laughs> I think, oh my God, can I take this comment back? <laughs> but we ended up having some banter. We ended up finding each other on uh, social media, connecting. We're connected to this day. Uh, he will come on and tell me, he literally says to me, you know, you're always my favorite. Oh. Now, I wouldn't have known that, right? Yes. He said, I want you to know, you were always one of my favorite. He had never forgotten me saving his life in Elmer Valentine's pool. Oh my goodness. I had remembered that, but I hadn't remembered it as such an intense incident as he had. So what had happened was one night, Elmer Valentine had us all come up after the whiskey closed at, you know, two in the morning. Mm -hmm. He had a black bottomed salt pool 
and all of the girls, box office girls, waitresses, whatnot, Lee was there, a bunch of other rock stars. Everybody's there. Well, I kept focusing on Lee because I could not keep my eyes off him. I realized he was drunk, of course. He was always drunk. Uh, he smelled like whiskey, cigarettes, and sweat. I was all in every time I met him. <laughs> That's rock and roll, baby. <laughs> but as I'm focusing on him from across the pool, he's sitting on the steps. I see him slowly going under. No. I'm thinking, what's he doing? Why is he going underwater like that? Then I realized there were bubbles coming up and he wasn't coming back. Holy shit. Right? So I ran over and I hooked my arms under his arms and pulled him back up. And after a couple of seconds, this water came flying out at me and he gave me a big goofy smile and said, hi. Oh my goodness. You, you truly saved his life. If you hadn't been there watching his glorious self. Well, there you go. I had no idea that it was that intense. And yet that's how he was remembering me. Wow. Isn't that something? Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, that's really something. So uh, interestingly, today I decided to go over onto his Facebook page and see what he's up to. And he was on there promoting some beautiful art. It was a jewelry art that a friend of his has made. He's back living up in uh, Northern California, kind of the hippie that he always was and still is apparently. Yeah. Um, and he's still doing music. He does a lot of, of, of releases and he does them through his own little company and through the internet. So, so Lee Stevens, that's it. That was my story. And uh, uh, a lot of details that hopefully one day I'll get all my, my writing together in a book and we can relive the, uh, the tiny details. But you got the story there. I've not shared that story. I've, I read the script, which I call, I call my little script of Lee Stevens, patience, faith, reward. Uh, I realized that if I had the patience and the faith that I'd get that boy, I got the reward. I finally did. Yeah, you did. Of course. <laughs> I love that. Again, you were an important part of their life too. You know, it's not just one way street there. Like these connections are real. They are real. I can't, I mean, back in the day when we were doing all this in the seventies, you know, there, there were no cell phones. There were no, there was no internet. There was nothing. If you weren't home, you didn't get the call. If you, you know, you didn't know. How would I ever know what Lee Stevens was up to today? How would I ever get the opportunity to hear that he thought I was his favorite and I had no idea where I stood? Yeah, it's crazy. When I go to the Sunset Plaza, which is Best Western, I pretend that I'm still in Sunset Plaza. I walk those steps and I realize I walked those steps with him so many wonderful nights that warm summer together. There we were, you know, and here I can walk them again. It's, it, it, it's quite inspiring. It is. And that's what was so cool about going to the whiskey with you as well and telling us what it used to be like and everything like, uh, it's so great that these places still exist and that you can, right. you know, take a walk down memory lane like that. Exactly. I know it's, it's, it's something else. Do you want to do another one? Please. Absolutely. Keep them coming. This one might be a little obscure for a younger audience, but let's see if I can tell you the time travel that we're going to take here. It was, it's another 71. This is June, June of 71. A band was coming in from England called Long John Baldry. Uh, oh. new release, the new release was called It Ain't Easy. Amazing. So, so one morning I woke up here, this is recently, I woke up and I thought, oh my gosh, wonder whatever happened to Sammy. 
And I began to listen to the soundtrack of Hair from 67. What I'd like to do is read you a little bit from what I wrote because I ran to the computer and I threw it all out there. Please. And it started, I just started like this and it's just, it's unedited. I just said how funny music is when it can take us away to a special place or time in our lives. Mm -hmm. Here I sit listening to the soundtrack of Hair, 1967. I was 17 when the musical premiered and I loved every bit, especially the track White Boys, Black Boys. My mind snapped back to a beautiful memory of a boy I once knew and the escapades we had together. And it's kind of, it's kind of funny because in this day and age of Black Lives Matter, you know, at the time, I would not have told my family that I was going to see a Black boy. And it's just so okay now that I, you know, I look back on it fondly and I, I love every minute of it. So. At this particular time, Long John Baldry was booked for the usual five-day run at the Whiskey, and all of us girls were getting ready because we could not wait to see for ourselves what band was coming. So, you know, we weren't exactly fighting over the opportunities because the band, yes, was about to open as this one closed at the end of June. So Baldry's engagement, we were all in, but we were all focused on Chris Squire and John Anderson. But we arrived before the band went on. We all got out in our best finery. We grabbed our drinks. We got a place that we could stand near the bar, waiting for the band to come out. So I'm leaning on the bar with my best come and get me stance. <laughs> You're ready. So down go the lights. I can see the, the figures, the shadowy figures coming out on the stage to take their places. And then boom, up came the lights. Well, there stood some glorious figures. I kid you not. When the guitar solo came, the most unique boy ever took center stage. He was well over six foot tall. Of course, looked even taller up on that stage. Yeah. He was slim. He moved in slow, smooth strides. He picked that guitar like it was a girl. Oh, <laughs> oh I longed to be that guitar through that whole solo. He had skin to me that was like warm milk chocolate. <laughs> he was framed by little long strands of afro hair it was incredible uh, i can picture it I oh you gotta picture it, it. Uh, beautiful <laughs> he had um he had an intense face but when he got applause he his smile was so big and so mischievous yet adorable he absolutely loved it you could tell that he was just drinking in every moment of being on stage of the whiskey it was an incredible sight to behold well my mind immediately flipped to the soundtrack from here when I'm thinking, black boys are delicious, chocolate flavored love, lips, lips like licorice. I'm thinking, oh my God, I've never tasted that. <laughs> I, I like to try a lick on those lips. Yes. <laughs> you got to read those lyrics. They're incredible. I'm going to check so, the song out for sure. Oh, for sure. So, I, so here I am in my moment with my Black Boys Are Delicious ringing in my head. A few songs in, I decide it's time to make my move before somebody else does. So I stand a few feet away from the bar and so I can be seen pretty clearly. I straighten my hair and I'm thinking really quickly. I'm thinking, I yell out, Snazzy Sammy. And I'm thinking, uh oh, oh, but there came that mischievous smile on his face. Uh. So I got his attention. A few more songs and I let it riff again. Snazzy Sammy. <laughs> Amazing. 
Well, the show is over too quickly. And I'm waiting around and what do I see? The lanky, beautiful body with that face emerging from the backstage and slowly coming down the stairs directly at me. And I said to myself, huh, the album's called It Ain't Easy. Kind of a contradiction to this one. <laughs> yeah, really. Just had to shout, be like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, he absolutely loved being Stassi Sam. He called himself that till, you know, till I didn't see him again. But anyway, <sighs> we had a couple of drinks and we were, you know, maneuvering around the, the main and underlying question when finally... Uh, you know, I put my arm around his as I have been known to do and announced that I was his date for the night. Uh, <laughs> so amazing. looking up at his face, I, I knew his eyes told me that he, I got the approval. So um, that night as the whiskey came to a close, we, we walked down the street together to Herat Street, which was the street that the girls and I had our, our little house on that we all shared together. Um, Herat Street's right behind the 9000 building. So we had easy access to walking right up to the whiskey each night. I spent a few minutes introducing him to everybody and then we jumped in my car at that time it was a 60 you might still my 67 it might have been my might have been my 69 gold Mustang I was really into Mustangs I had a 67 blue and a 69 gold but anyway we heading up the Sunset Strip again to his hotel which turned out to be of course the Continental Hyatt House yes <laughs> and I walked in um, with my catch of the night proudly flaunting to all of the groupies because that lobby was always full of girls. Conquests were a sweet victory in the 70s. It, they really were. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I can just <laughs> picture the scene perfectly. I want to be there. I want to be there so bad. <laughs> it was quite something. I ended up being quite surprised at what a fine gentleman Sam Mitchell turned out to be. Um, as opposed to some that I'd been uh, out there with, some of these drunken rockers that I encountered was not anything fun. Once that door shut, they were either stripped naked or you were. You know, the, Sam was, uh, Sam had the same cool that I had experienced with Cozy Pal. He was really into his music, uh, the musicianship. He wanted to share those uh the songs and the licks and how they arrived and his favorites and the Hell and Wolf and all of the, the stuff that he was influenced by. So I had really quite a great time with him. As it turned out, again, they were doing other shows. And um, now I, of course, feeling like the L.A. girl, decided that my girlfriends and I should hop in the car and go down to San Diego. So a few days later, we went to San Diego and I find out that there's another girl down there. So Sam, <laughs> Sam had already hit the circuit. Aww. I was definitely destined to be the LA girl. Showed up at the show to save face, stayed through the show, saw that there was another girl, realized that that was the end of it for me. Got back home. The phone rings. He asked me to come get him at the Hyatt House. I thought, okay, this is odd. Turns out he decided he'd rather be with me. And I said, what about the other girl? And he says to me, I'll never forget it. He says to me, ships in the night don't drop anchor. <laughs> oh. well I mean it was also telling me where I stood yeah you know? yeah you know I got it okay so I get where we're going with that I, I was I was very cool with all of it um so I had a really good time with him we had a a, a lot of time together um many days that came and went now how that connection was lost was a really interesting story another one that I've never told anyone we were booking an all-girl, it might perhaps could be one of the first all-girl bands, 
in Hollywood called Fanny. Oh, I love them. That I do too. And I'm still connected to a couple of the members of Fanny. Oh. Fanny was managed by a man named Ron Silverman. I believe it was Ron Silverman, who was a very influential man in the music scene. And Elmer Valentine really, really liked him. And, and we booked Fanny a lot because Elmer was trying to please Ron Silverman. And um, to this day, just so you know, one of those players is actually the mother of Brandy Brandt, who is Nikki Six's wife and the mother of his many children. No way. Did you not know that? I did not know that. That's so right. crazy. Wow. She's a wonderful woman. I, I love her to bits and she and I can reminisce for days about the days of Fanny, but how about that for a connection? Oh, and like, I love it. Like again, like the whiskey connects everything too. You see what I mean? And that's probably why I, I become known as the Forrest Gump of the whiskey and music because I can connect everything to that. But her name is Bree Darling. Okay. And, and Bree Darling is a, is a cake maker, a cake designer too, as well as still doing music. But so she's the mom of Brandy Brown and she's the grandma of all those, those children with Nikki, which is pretty fun. Now, at the time, I think Ron Silverman was um, dating the, the lead girl. And I, I, her name is escaping me at the time, but at this time, but uh, she was a beauty. At any rate, they had a keyboard player. We'll get to the keyboard player. Her name was Nikki. Nikki was a big, ballsy girl, a redhead. Well, here's where my end of Sammy came. She called me over to her house. She called me at the whiskey and said, I need you to come over to my house. And I'm thinking, I got to do what I'm told when it comes to Fanny and Elmer and Ron Silverman. So I went right over. It was like, a, it was like going into a medieval palace. She, she shut that dungeon door and turned <laughs> it and she says to me, you have to let Sam Mitchell go. What? I want him. He's mine. And I went, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You got to come over to my house so I can demand. Yeah. Oh, she, she demanded it. And I mean, the, the, you know, she was, she was pretty powerful and she knew she had the upper hand. Besides when it came to our stature, she could have flicked me like a fly. I wasn't about to mess with her. <laughs> and, I, and I wasn't about to mess with Elmer and all that. So yeah. Wow. I, I said, okay. But I did the right thing. I did the right thing because he ended up going back to London with her. And they were together for quite a number of years, um, supporting one another in their music. To me, that, you know, I'm a love maker and a peacemaker. I'm, I'm not going to fight anybody for anything. And, you know, it's his choice. He can do what he wants to do. But I, I was proud of myself for being the lady that I needed to be to step back. For sure. Plenty of other rock stars out there as well well it's 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 hard to step back you know from anything mm -hmm. when you think about it you know especially when you have your heartstrings tied to it but you know it is what it is so i did so now we're gonna go full circle okay so i wake up and i start writing my my story about snazzy sammy and i want to get my my thing straight so i hadn't gotten quite to the part i've already shared with you i haven't i haven't written the part about nikki I find out that he ended up going back to his home of Liverpool. And just when I'm all excited, thinking I'm going to find him again, I find out that he's passed away. Oh, no. He passed away in 2006 from heart problems. Oh, that's so sad. So you see what I mean about it can be bittersweet when you yeah. go full circle on the internet and social media. But so great that 
it's come around now before it's too late for everyone. Exactly. You know, it, it, it's tough. You go through the, these journeys and then you want to have some closure or you want to have some continuation and, you know, you find out somebody's gone. Yeah. It's, it's a sad thing. I was, it was a sad thing for me. I literally wept. I went and pulled out. He's got a solo album. I pulled that out. Uh, he was so proud of his guitar playing and he did such a wonderful John, job with Long John Baldry and just really a special human, really a special human. Um, for it to be a part of my life, I feel so blessed. Yeah. And to be able to remember him exactly as he was when he was in his glory, just amazing. Love him. And this is also why it's so important that you share your stories because he's gone now and he can't share his story anymore. So you're keeping his memory alive. Well, I love that you say that because that's how I would like to remember it all. And I'd like to be the person that gets to put it down so that it isn't forgotten. And, you know, as time goes by, I mean, we can see it now. We talked about it even with the whiskey. As time goes by, the history gets rewritten. And it's not done viciously. It's done out of just the fact of not knowing anything. Today, there, there is a picture posted that I took of the whiskey marquee, and the whiskey has put it up, giving me full credit, which is great, but they're boldly saying it's 1972. It's 1973. I know I took it. I can tell you how I know, and this billboard on the side is, is the coming, upcoming release of, of The Joker by Steve Miller. Well, that was definitely 1973. See, they just don't know. Yeah. And the details get fuzzy and then they disappear unless there's people like you making sure that that doesn't disappear. Right. And trying to remember those who have passed on to, to, to keep them in our hearts and in our minds and to keep them as solid, a keystone in some of this history. It's, it's really important. You know, um, I think it was Don Arden. Don Arden had commissioned a uh, documentary. It was going to be a three piece part. It was going to be called a shot of whiskey supposed to be a documentary and a, and a hardcover book and a CD and going to have all the stuff. And I, I did an interview with him. I brought the, the whiskey sign. I've shared that with you, that, that metal, that metal custom yes. sign that we, we trash picked <laughs> back yes. in 74 that I have here. Um, Don Arden wanted to get everything solidified because he knew, you know, he was going to be around forever and jet records had paid for all this stuff and then he died. So the project died and now the project's kind of come around and been issued, but only as a kind of a hack job of what it started off to be. And I don't even think my piece is in it anymore, which is a shame, but you know, that's how things go. Yeah. Well, that's why, you know, I'm glad you're writing things down and I want your whiskey book. I want to hear all the details that only you know, because you were there, not these people, you know, gathering together things. I absolutely love that you love this because it's a joy to tell them to somebody who finds the importance of them and finds some thrill in them. A lot of people don't and, uh, and you do. And I actually, there's, I shouldn't say a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't know it, but they sure want to hear about it. And I, yeah. I get more than ever. I wish I could have known you then. Yes. You know? Well, you know, we look in the mirror and go, where did that last 50 years go? <laughs> But you had a blast, like you lived it, you know, like what an amazing 50 years. I think so. I look back on it and go, yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy with my life. You know, I think that's really all you have to take back. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I go to as many contests as I possibly can because Lord knows if I'm going to be able to walk and, and, you know, rock out. So I go, and this coming week, 
I'm going to see the Rolling Stones, and I haven't seen them since 1965. Wow. And they added another show, which is on uh, Thursday before that I had already purchased tickets from. I'm taking my grandkids and my kids to see the Rolling Stones. They've never seen them. Uh. And I'm such a groupie, and I'm so, I was so upset that they added another show that I went and looked, and I thought, I cannot let them play in my hometown and not go to that one. And I snuck out and I thought, I'm going to buy a second row seat, which cost me a fortune. But I can only now buy my memories. I don't need any more stuff. So to buy that memory and go to that show is going to be so meaningful to me in my, at my age, more so than anything else. Yeah. So I'm glad I did it. I'm really glad I did it. So getting back to talking about the book that I'm writing, that I don't know, I didn't know that I had a book. I have been to Pamela DeVar's writing class, which just so you know, I intend to go to the very next one. Ooh, she's okay. a, she's a great, oh my God, she puts you on the spot and makes you write Johnny on the spot, do this, do that. And I could do it and I didn't think I could. But I also have been taking quite a few uh, writing lessons from an author here in Orange County. He's a kind of a rock historian, Chris Epton. He's the one who's tagged me Whiskey Girl. And he's the one that actually got me sparked into doing this giant notebook of pieces. And what he does is he challenges me to do pieces that I wouldn't normally do. So if you'd like to get into another story. Absolutely. It's probably the last one that we could share today. But okay. I think you're, you're going to love this one. It's really interesting and telling. So what he challenged me to do was to write a story that I would never want to tell anybody. Oh, that's a good challenge. Of course, my, my first thought is, you mean something really naughty? Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, it's funny that you say it because going out to Pamela DeVar's workshop, I tell you what, they all want to hear naughty. Oh, yeah. And well, that's like a, such a safe space. And that's my favorite part of Pamela's writing class is getting to hear everyone else read their pieces because they're all so good and fascinating and everyone's just remarkable in that group, you know, so many amazing women. This is true. And um, I got to say, I loved going into Pamela's workshop and I, I want, I can't wait to go again. I actually read to her class, the full script of Lee Stevens. I mean, every detail and, <sighs> and they were all the girls were just so quiet. And I thought, God, is this going over well? I don't know. Is this going over well? I'm so overwhelmed with the fact that maybe this is not going. And at the end, Pamela says, that was fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. We want every detail. Absolutely. Well, that, that, <laughs> that was the validation I needed to go, okay, I'm on the right track. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was, oh, that was kind of cool. So the challenge that I got from Chris Epton was to write something I didn't want anybody to ever know about. And I'm really actually glad that I did. So what I did was I wrote a piece and I called it shot down. There's always one rotten apple. And <laughs> this was my story of my encounter with Ian Hunter. Now Ian Hunter had written a book and I never read it. I would never listen to all the young dudes. I would never look at his name. I would never be his friend on social media. I wanted nothing to ever do with this man. I wanted to erase him. Wow. That's so strong. <laughs> so, so, so talk about putting my head in the ground and not knowing what was going on with him. 
and I wrote this piece and I read it in this class, this, this writing class that I took with Chris Epton. And Chris Epting's been, he's done a lot of, he's been doing a lot of books with a lot of celebrities. So he totally gets me and he gets what we're doing. But I had no idea what was going on around me because I stuck my head in the ground so deep with Ian. I'll read you some of it and then I'll tell you the end. <laughs> it's a little surprising. Okay. So the way that I wrote this piece was actually going into the winter of 72. Now, what I'm really proud of is I wrote the whole story and it turned out that so had Ian Hunter in the Diary of a Rockstar. No way. <laughs> Which Chris Epting said, oh, hello, look what I just found. Now, I'm really proud of that because I was right about all of it. But my perspective was so different than his. Oh, I bet. Oh, oh, I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> so, so my piece, The Shot Down, there's always one rotten apple. I start off with it was a slow night of the whiskey heading into the winter of 72. So you get the picture. The whiskey was really sparse. It was really dead. There were just a few regular girls, which all of us, you know, are diehards thinking, of who's coming in the door next? We were all watching the door, seemingly, you know, hoping for that special person to walk in. It's getting later and later. We would usually dance on the dance floor in groups, gr girl groups, because, you know, we were hoping to get the eye of somebody on stage. But anyway, after a few yawns, and practically at the end of the night, they're just about to do last call. I don't know if you ever knew how the whiskey did last call. No. The voice would come over and say, last call, it's hotel motel time. <laughs> How great is that? Kind of summed it up, right? Yep. <laughs> but, you know, we would dance in front of the stage hoping to catch the eye of some musician up there. It's really what we were doing. But, you know, anyway. Well, then, the, then guess who comes in the door? Ian. Ian Hunter comes in the door. And with a guy. I don't know who the guy is, but I knew who he was right away. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this is it. You know, I better, better be fast. I better move quick. So he sits down with his friend and I, I grab the waitress and I tell her, find out what he wants to drink. And I'm, I'm feeling super cute. I'm like, this is it. I nailed this one. I'm going to be the first one. Get his drink and give it to me. I'm going to serve him. This is what I'm thinking. Yeah. So she does. And I, I was wearing a little floral mini dress. And I remember I used to wear I used to wear a spray of Windsong cologne. Do you remember Windsong by Prince Machiavelli? Oh, uh, okay. I'd have my spritz and, you know, it's whipping the air all around me. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm just the coolest thing ever. My, my confidence was glowing. I had this great smile on my face. I have the drinks in my hand. I'm going to go serve Ian Hunter. Uh, I find him down. He's got his golden curls. He's got his sunglasses on, as he always wore those signature sunglasses, you know, in the dark club. I'm thinking that's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. We all have our, our little thing. Um, I don't know. Maybe he thought he was cool or they were symbolic. I'm not quite sure. But I, I always wonder, do you think he sleeps with them? Think he sleeps with them? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Or very close by, first thing he does in the morning. Well, yeah, I come to find out he has terrible eyesight and they were prescription. Uh, but, you know, but, you know, who knew that? Well, I don't know. But anyway, so I go over and I bend down next to him to set the drinks on the little round table, little red tables that we had in there. And he leans over towards me by the, the, the dim glow of the candles that we have there. And he says to me, do you have a breath mint? And I what? Said, yes. And I said, no, but I could get one. And he looks at his friend and starts laughing. And he says, well, you should get one. Oh. I, 
I thought, oh my God, this is, but now you see why I never told the story, right? What an asshole though. Well, I wasn't known to have bad breath and he was laughing and it was obviously at me, yeah. you know, and he starts laughing and telling me I need to go get a breath mint. So I, I thought obviously it was just being rude and nasty and I could just feel the warm rush of embarrassment running up my body, trying to think quickly. Thank God he and his buddy were the only ones that, you know, heard it and i'm thinking how do you get out of here gracefully and quickly you know so i go well sorry enjoy your drinks and i made a quick exit you know i'm thinking thank god nobody heard that snide remark but i was really upset about it to the point that i swear i never ever ever supported his music never bought a record never listened never stayed far away yeah screw him so rude right so unnecessary well and here's what's interesting Many years later, I'd heard that because of wearing those dark glasses all the time, his eyes had started to sink into his head a little bit. So, you know, you're thinking, oh, my God. Anyway, it was really nasty. He didn't have any manners. And I thought, that's it for me. I'll never tell that story. You know, I didn't have any I didn't have any physical scars from it, but it really affected me. Of course. So so then my writing coach, Chris Epton, says, you know, I decided to reread Ann Hunter's book that he wrote in 1972 after he heard and read my story in class. And um, this, I guess it was, it's titled Diary of a Rock and Roll Star, but I guess it had many different names. But at any rate, (laughs) I got the book and I decided I'd read it. He said, I think you need to read it. So do you want me to read you from it? Oh my God. (laughs) It's actually quite entertaining. I mean, it goes to show you how people how people can read things and people can have their own interpretations, you know? Yeah. So um, let's see, let me find the, the passage. Okay. So, so he's come into the whiskey. Let's see what he says. Uh, he says he took a yellow cab along Sunset Boulevard. And um, he says, uh, he, he says, uh, like me, you've got to go watch the whiskey. The people are into many games. And when people are really nice to you, you blow them out just in case. Watch, he says, watch no one spiked your drink. What? Okay. Right? Watch that no one touches your arse. Uh, okay. Watch, watch the dose ridden chicks. <gasps> I'm shocked. This is him. It's in his book. And he says, that's if you're interested. He's giving us, he's giving everyone a guide to what to look for in the whiskey. Now, mind you, this, this entry is dated right the time you know that I had dated it so I'm thinking what then he says he calls me Jill Jill comes over she might be genuine but who knows at Uh, least she at least she works at the club so some degree of sanity is maintained okay right she's cute buys me a drink but I think she smells of onion and I upset her a little by giving her a breath freshener. What? I, I was only being nice. Oh, so nice. So nice of him. What a sweetheart. Thanks, Ian. So well, lovely. But then he goes on to talk about who was playing, and then he's really messed up because he, you know, he doesn't realize he's arrived at two and the club's closed. He doesn't remember at all like I do, but, you know, my writing teacher says, have you read this? And he says, well, you know, at least he validates my story. Yeah. But because of it, I said, okay, I'm going to break down. I'm going to buy the book. I'm going to read it. 
Well, come to find out, he was really, really attached to a girl. I mean, very attached to a girl and not going to go off with any other girl. And how he got rid of them was a code word. When you read the diary of a rock and roll star all through it, he and the boys have a code word, which is to get rid of girls. And that word is onions. Wow. <laughs> That's the craziest, most random. I mean, the story itself, hilarious. But <laughs> the fact that it's in his book as well. That's crazy. Well, yeah, when he says she's cute, but she smelled of onions. I mean, you know, uh, I, I have I have to run with the cute part because they can't. <laughs> You know, for my for my writing coach, he said, you know, Didi, this is actually beautiful because it validates your stories. Absolutely, yeah. So I thought, okay, you are you so memorable still. <laughs> yeah, so that that right there is a story that I never told anybody. That's <laughs> you know, crazy. That's so funny, though. Oh my goodness. It's embarrassing, but you know, on the other end of the spectrum, it's, you know, it's what happened. It's the truth. And funny enough, I don't really like secrets. I'm not good at holding anything in. It felt kind of good to get it all out and to find out that he'd actually remembered it. I mean, it made me feel like, okay, you remember me and you remember me as being cute and not crazy. I, that works for me. Yeah, for sure. And again, like just a little piece of rock and roll history there and it's in the books now and love it. Ex exactly. It's, it's made me um, more readily available to other uh, people that want to write about me. And I've, I've recently done a book. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I did a book for, he's actually the, he's one of the uh, editors of Guitar World and he's got a new book out. It's his name is Rich Beinstock. Okay. And um, he's got a book out right now. I think it's called Ain't Nothing But a Good Time. Um, it's all about the 80s. You know, I was fortunate enough to be able to go through the 60s and write, zip right on through into the 80s and into yeah. the 90s. Um, but he did this book with a man named, I think it's Tom Beaujour. Um, I had so much time with with uh, Rich. And I went to Nam and he was there and he came yelling, I want to meet you. And he's one of the first that wrote everything to the T that we talked about. And he's the one that taught me, I'm gonna thank him because even though you might not like what's written about you, the fact is, is that you were important enough to write about. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you were part of that scene and- Right, yeah, okay, it is called Nothing But A Good Time, The Uncensored History of the 80s Rock Explosion. And I'm all through it and it's been really interesting to me because again, when we talk about full circle and we go to the internet, he interviewed so many people and I turned him on to so many people to interview in the eighties. And a lot of them just really didn't realize what they were saying when they were, they, they, some of them said things where I was just excluded. And now they're all finding me on social media going, you were a big part of my success or you, you were uh. right there with me because they'd excluded me. And Rich was really adamant about including me. Yes. Uh. So, yeah, it's, it's, you know, writing is an interesting thing. This is what I love about talking with you and doing a podcast. It's coming from my mouth. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And you, get, and you get to hear it, you know, exactly. Of course, we all remember things differently, and I give everybody that. But 
you know, just for the record, just so you all know, I do not smell like onions. <laughs> I have met Dee I agree. She does not smell like onions. <laughs> you smell lovely. <laughs> well, thank you, my dear. I love you to bits. That's about all I have for you today. Uh, but I have lots more in the tilly should you ever want to retravel. Yes, absolutely. And and like you were just saying, you were at the whiskey for so long and you were an important part, not just of that venue, but of so many people's careers, helping people get to where they are now, like massive fans and everything. Well, yeah. And I appreciate that now, you know, it's, well, I mean, it's really funny when I say that people got into Rich Weinstock's book and then kind of excluded me. It was like, it was as though they just came to the whiskey and boom, they got these great uh, gigs. And, you know, what about the girl that fought for them? Yes, you know? exactly. Exactly who spotted the talent there, who helped nurture it, like made sure that well, they were getting seen. Well, yeah. And Elmer Valentine was just absolutely wonderful about that. He, he took these bands in and often he would pay for them to have things that they needed on stage. Um, particularly ones that he really, really loved. He would go to bat for him and he'd have me go to bat for him to get him record deals. We used to host inside the club during the day. We'd let a band come in and I would invite all the record execs to come in during the afternoon and they'd play a set for them and they got record deals out of that. Yeah. That's, you know, that's really important. It is. It's super important. And again, also let's make sure women's part in rock and roll history isn't lost the men get way too much credit and well that yeah yeah well that's true you know there were years and years and years when elmer w w would take credit for a lot of things that i did for him which i did not mind because i was his right hand man but you know now that he's gone it'd be nice if i got a little credit you know yeah. I, I mean we, you know i was answering the phone so i was privy to a lot of things that i say hey you know what i'm getting a lot of calls for for this guy named uh, Bruce Springsteen, where we're booked Rick Springfield, maybe we've got the wrong guy, you know? <laughs> I think we need to, to rebook that. Let's get this Bruce guy. Yes. Yeah, you must but, have seen like so many incredible shows there too. Like my goodness, wow. Well, you, yeah, you know, there's a lot of shows that I look back on and I think uh, I didn't go. Why didn't I go? I came to work one day and my walls were all tagged call them tagging now i called it graffitiing up my walls they were art big giant wings with this word aerosmith in the middle yeah i said, I said that damn band we had last night look what they've done to my wall <laughs> <laughs> i look uh, back and go why didn't i go to that show <laughs> yeah seriously but i mean you can't see them all you gotta have a night off too no, you can't. And I mean, that was it. We were running ourselves ragged going, you know, all night, all day, all night, all day. After a while, I was like, oh my God, I need a break. I don't know how I lived through it, but I did. Do you have any bands that like you wish you could go back and see them on that stage again? Well, there are so many that we, we'd love to go back and see on that stage again. But, you know, you, you got you to dig deep and think, you know, let's go back and see the doors. Let's go back and see. You know what yeah. I mean? You got to go, go back and... But, you know, you don't get to do that, but we do get to see what, you know, a lot of people are making jokes um, about some of these bands calling them, they're just cover bands. There's only one original member. Well, there's only one original member left alive. So do you want to relive it and, and get to hear it? Or do you want it to just fold and you'll never hear it again? Exactly. You know? Let's enjoy live music, even if 
it's not from the original band member, at least it's the songs that matter. It's the songs that matter. I mean, we went to see Foreigner at the Greek theater just a few days ago. They're, they're none of the original members. I mean, they've been with the, the, this entity has been together since what, maybe a good over 10 years now, but the catalog is amazing. The songs are amazing. Do they just get shelved because there's no original members? We were lucky enough, Mick Jones, guitarist, the only original member still standing who wrote most of those hits mm -hmm. was, was well enough to come out on stage. And you say, count my blessings that I got the opportunity to see that man perform. He had to be helped and he was a bit slow, but man, he was out there enjoying every bit of it. And you know, that's what's important. The legacies live on, the music lives on. You know, I'll still be his groupie any day of the week, loving yeah. every minute of it. Now I was, I told you, I think in our, maybe our last uh, time together that we talked, I was totally into the suite, absolutely adore the suite. And since then, we've had one of our main members, Steve Priest has passed away. Yeah. So, you know, the suite as we knew them are no longer in existence. And, you know, I'm glad and I'm grateful for the opportunity to force myself at times when I was tired, but I did it anyway, went to every single show that was in, within my reach. And I have wonderful photos to show for it. And I'm, I'm grateful that I did that, you know, and I'm hoping by doing a, these chats with you or participating in some of these books that I am that that when I'm gone things will live on things will live on that weren't known absolutely and that's why I love doing this as well and that's why I love reading these books and like all these women who like all, here's the thing you guys were there you absorbed everything you were a part of it you weren't just on the sidelines you were right in the middle of it and you're music historians now because you have the true stories you know the personal ones and i just love those stories so much oh gosh and i love that you appreciate them it's it's great fun to relive them it's great fun to tell them i mean sometimes especially when we're getting on in my age going on into the 70s i mean i'm actually considered elderly it's a little scary <laughs> But, you know, sometimes we get a little mixed up in, in our timelines. And, you know, I, that's the one thing I, I stress the most. I really want to get my timelines correct. But the memories and the, and especially when it comes to love interests, it's such a treat to be able to share and close my eyes and relive them. And, you know, and, and, and when I'm doing that, I'm, you know, I'm still 20 and I'm still strutting my stuff, you know. It's, it's exactly. Fun. Age is such a crazy thing, you know, especially like the older you get, the more you realize uh, people put uh, an idea on a number that makes no sense to reality a lot of the times, you know? Like well, it really does. You know, I've decided I've worked at, in the public school district now for uh, going on 16 years and I've decided to retire in November. I want to spend time fixing this book and, and getting my memorabilia together. I really want to go in that direction because I was shrewd enough to get a bachelor's degree while I've been working, I now am able to go back and be a substitute teacher, which really, if anybody knows, is really about classroom management. It's not about teaching curriculum, yeah. but I'll have the ability to make $150 a day if I need it. And I don't because I have social security. Thank God for the whiskey and the Roxy. Yeah. I, I, I get a good one, but you know, I'm going to be able to, to take that time and, and, and write these stories and get, get everything in order for that. Uh, I'm so excited to read everything that you produce and I know it's going to be so good and like again you're one of those people every time I talk to you I hear a new story I know you have a million others 
you are a storyteller, you know, and uh, thank you for sharing and thank you for taking the time to write things down now too, because yeah, we, we don't want these stories lost. They need to be known. Well, I've got little catalogs that I've created, which is whiskey, you know, 66 to 70 and 70 to 75 and on and on. And I'm going to share them with you and you get to be the soundboard for it because I appreciate you and I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, amazing. Uh, I'm excited. And I'm so excited to come and visit you again soon. I've got it all planned for you. We're going to take you on quite a, quite a ride into, into rock and roll history. And I look forward to seeing you. I send you big hugs. You're a darling. Uh, thank you so much. So are you. I wanted to mention before we end things here that, like you said, you go to shows all the time still. And you have an Instagram account for your photos of all the concerts and everything you go to. Yes, my my sister Cassie and I have started an Instagram page, which which is just getting off the ground, but it's actually becoming more unique and more fun. We're called the Lens Groupies. Yes, yes. Lens Groupies. <laughs> of course, we had to put that groupie in there because that's exactly what we are and we're proud of it. Of course. So we're going to start, especially now that um, I'm going to retire and I'm going to have full time. I'm going to really dig into that. We've purchased some new cameras and we're we're raring to go and see what we can create and it's it's not really for anything other than ourselves and the enjoyment of other girls that that worship these guys we want to send you some beautiful photographs so hopefully fingers crossed we'll see something from the rolling stones coming up yes absolutely and i will put the link in the show notes and everything so people can check that out and follow and everything that would be fantastic and i hope to talk to you again real soon anytime you feel free to call me uh, okay, well, uh, I'll be calling you very soon. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Dee Dee. Thank you so much. Much love to you. Bye-bye. Muses is researched, edited, and produced by Lynx O'Leary. Hello, dear stranger. I'd like to introduce you to something new. Or perhaps something very, very old. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine is a horror fantasy medical mystery following the titular monk turned traveling medical investigator. Follow Radolf as he navigates a nightmare world in which viruses are gods and the human race are not their favored children. Steeped in history and an aesthetic that can only be described as a combination of occult academia and Laboratory Judaica. The heresies of Redolf Burntwine have been described as Umberto Echo meets H.P. Lovecraft. For more information, check out the Patreon at thorb.info. But take care, dear stranger, for some truths are best left unknown.